Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you this morning. And um, I wonder, I want to start with a question, and that is, um, have you thought about um, how you read the Bible, as in you yourself? Have you reflected on how you read the Bible? Maybe you haven't read the Bible. Uh, maybe you've read it many, many times. But what goes on? How do you process what that looks like? Let me, see, let, let me leave that question with you as I just pray briefly as we start. So, Lord, I want to thank you for um, the, the, the privilege it is to be able to gather in a place like this, the freedom that we have to worship the living God. And, Lord, we thank you for those baptisms that we saw. We thank you that we can sing, put words to music and sing and declare that you are our living God. We place our hope before you. And uh, one of the ways in which you change our hearts is when we gather around your word, the Bible. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would be the teacher this morning, that your Holy Spirit would do the work uh, in each of our hearts as we gather around your word. So have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So how do you read the Bible? Uh, we're not robots. Uh, we're, not, we're not robots functioning exactly the same way. Uh, we're human. So in this sense, there's no fixed way of reading the Bible. There's no right or wrong way, if you like, uh, when it comes to um, spending time um, with in, in, the, in the Word or in Scripture. We call this at Door of Hope 20 Minutes in the Chair. It's the invitation for all of us to spend some time regularly, daily, um, opening the Bible and letting Scripture speak to us, God speaking to us through what He's already um, spoken. Um, uh, in, so in this sense... Um, there's no fixed way of reading the Bible, but it, it, the, the Scripture doesn't change, but maybe our seasons do. Our experiences, uh, the things that we're going through, the emotions that we're processing, um, even what book of the Bible we're reading shapes the way that we read the Bible. Um, Ecclesiastes 1.1, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. When I, ever, whenever I read that, I just think, let's just get this out of, out of the way and over and done with Isaiah is hard to read because it's not chronological. And so we need some help sometimes uh, in reading some of the books. Um, how much time I have impacts um, how I read the Bible. Uh, let me use some images to try and describe maybe your, your journey, my journey in, in, in Scripture. The first one is of a mountain view. Maybe you read the Bible um, with a kind of a big picture point of view. You're not interested in the details. You're kind of gathering around the Word. You open it up and you just want to get the bits that, that suit you. You're okay with letting others deal with the details and just let's stay in the big picture side of thing. Or maybe uh, some of us might like to dip our toes in the water. Maybe we're a little bit more interested in particular topics. Maybe we're going through some things and we're really wrestling with, with reading the Bible and having to dig a little bit deeper. Or maybe some of us um, prefer to just jump right in and start swimming in some of these details. We don't, we're not interested in the big picture. We just really want to sort of figure out this information. We're, we're keen um, to, to explore our faith and just really dig deep and it's quite slow. Being aware of how we read uh, our habits, how we read the Bible is important. But actually, rather than spending time talking about how we, we read the Bible, I want to invite us to consider the question, how did Jesus read the Bible? Let's not focus on ourselves. Let's focus on Jesus. That's the main reason why we gather this morning. 
Um, and there's a, a wonderful scene that I want to just, um, we're going to spend some time in Matthew, but I just do want to jump over to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, because when it comes to this, the answer to this question, how did Jesus read the Bible, I, I want us to div, dive into this little scene. Uh, in verse 14 of chapter 4, uh, we read, Then Jesus, in the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and news about him spread throughout the surrounding countryside. Uh, he began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by all. Now Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim uh, release to the captives and the regaining of the sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. It's remarkable that Jesus would have the audacity to stand in a in a sacred place, reading scripture that was well known and then declaring that he, the, the scripture that he'd just read was about himself. And so when we come to the Sermon on the Mount, which is the season that we've been in uh, the last few weeks, uh, Jesus takes on this uh, uh, role of proclaiming, uh, telling everyone that he's listening that he is the reason why he's speaking about the law and the prophets. It's all about him. He is the focus. And um, Sandy spoke about this, this last week, but I do want to refer to a couple of verses in chapter 5 of Matthew. Do not think that I've come to abol abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish these things, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or the stroke of a letter will pass from the law until everything takes place. This is the statement out of the Sermon on the Mount. I think this is the statement um, which the new kingdom perspective hinges on. This is a shocking revelation, especially to those that had entrusted their lifestyle to God's law. But Jesus, in a matter of just a few words, um, had made the Bible, and when we're talking about Jesus understanding the Bible or reading the Bible, we're talking about the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. In just a few words, he made the Bible about himself. And now he's about to proclaim, or if you like, update um, the law. And this is the law that Moses had received so long ago. This is the law that the Israelites had gathered around and organized themselves. And uh, Jesus comes along in this one phrase. He has come to fulfill it. And what he's doing is he's getting Moses' law and he's turning it inside out. He did this in the form of six statements. And these are the statements that I want to focus on this morning. The statement begins with, You have heard it said... But now I say to you, you have heard it said, but now I say to you. And he does this six times. So this is fine for us. We're, we're happy to read this. 
Uh, we're processing this. We're happy to accept that Jesus could say whatever he wanted to say, however he wanted to say it, until we start reading what the implications are. How do you read the Bible? Because sometimes it's easier to skip some of the trickier passages in Scripture than it is to spend time with them, to ask more questions, to go a little bit deeper. So the following verses are some of the most challenging words and topics that continue to be part of, the, of our world today. And now when I agreed to speak in this, in this series, I didn't realize that this would be my passage. And I would have happily bribed somebody else to take my place. <laughs> but that's not appropriate. Um, so I want to just spend some time. We can't read all of it. I don't, um, we have to sort of keep moving forward. But I do want to read those, just those statements, those six statements, uh, to try and paint a picture. So in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 5, we read this. This is Jesus speaking. You have heard that it it was said to an older generation, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I say to you that anyone who is angry with a brother will be subject to judgment. And whoever insults a brother will be brought before the council. And whoever says fool will be sent to fiery hell. Welcome to the Sermon on the Mount. This is getting serious now. In verse 27, we just skip a few more uh, verses just to keep moving forward. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to to desire her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is getting serious. Verse 31, it was said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a legal document. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the fourth one. Again, you have heard that it was said to an older generation, do not break an oath, but fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, do not take oaths at all, not by heaven, because it is the throne of God, not by earth, because it is his footstool, and not by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. Let's move on to verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the evildoer. But whoever strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other to him as well. And then the final one, the sixth one, in verse 33. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. This was absolutely shocking to those that heard it for the first time. Um, And I would say that it's still shocking for us today. Jesus is serious about his kingdom and he's taking his hearers straight to the heart of what the law should have done but couldn't accomplish. So the law provided ways of dealing with, this is the summary, murder, adultery, divorce, oaths, retaliation, and dealing with one's enemies. That's what the law was there to, um, uh, to foster, to uh, work out a way of how to deal with these things. But it failed. And the reason it failed is because it, it, it failed to address the most important thing, and that was the heart. It failed to address 
the heart of every individual that lived under this law. And so Jesus goes about saying these statements not to contradict what God has spoken to Moses, but to fulfill them in himself and to say there is a deeper issue going on here. We could easily say, uh, well, I can easily say I've not murdered anyone. But actually, there's a deeper issue going on here. And for example, in this, in this issue of murder, I do struggle with anger. And this is what Jesus is really getting to. It's not murder that's the issue anymore. It's actually anger that sits underneath. And that's the welcome to the kingdom message that Jesus is proclaiming. So murder in Moses' time becomes now anger uh, and issues of anger. How are you going with your anger? Adultery for Moses and God's people in Jesus' time and for us is now about desire. Divorce is about covenant and about love in a way that our world is, is distorting. Oaths is not about um, swearing by something but actually about a, a kingdom where you don't need to swear by anything because we are truth-tellers. Oaths are not necessary. Retaliation is not about um, doing to someone else what has been done to you, but actually absorbing that, if you like, and actually bringing forward peacemaking. This is the kingdom of God. And then the sixth one, dealing with one's enemies becomes not an issue about enemies, but it becomes an issue about love. And so my task this morning as I was reflecting on this is not to talk about each of these individually. They are all very serious, and they all need our attention in different ways, and we explore this at Dora of Hope um, constantly in different ways. These are important ethical questions about how we treat each other. When you look at those issues, it's really coming down to what we've described in recent weeks as this kingdom ethic. How do I go about treating somebody else when things aren't going right? And so my task is not to go into detail for all of these. We don't have that time. And I sense that my time, my task is to remind us all that it's all about Jesus. And I said to Steve this morning, this is all I've got. It's all about Jesus. We're not ready to talk about any of these topics until we understand Jesus' presence in our lives. So it's easier to address the do's and the don'ts. So easy. You, you, you draw a line, you know where you stand. And you can kick people out if, you, if they don't meet that kind of standard. And we do this all the time in our world. So it's easier to, do, it's easier to focus on the do's and the don'ts than it is to address the condition of my heart. Just ask the Pharisees of Jesus' time. It was easier for them to elaborate on Moses' law. Originally, it was Ten Commandments. By the time Jesus was present uh, among, the, among God's people, it was something like 600 different laws. So it was easier to elaborate on Moses' law than it was to allow God to transform our hearts or the, the Pharisees' hearts at the time. And so what we need to realize is that Jesus is constantly inviting us to be at the center of our lives every single day. He won't force himself into your life, but the invitation is always there. 
So I wonder, what aspect of your life this morning do you need Jesus to be the center? The Sermon on the Mount is not really about the law, it's about Jesus. And so he wanted to let his hearers know that the law was not at the center of one's relationship uh, with the living God. Jesus is at the center of the relationship with the living God. You can't be made right with God through your actions without Jesus. You can't enter God's kingdom uh, without Jesus. Jesus wants to be present in our hearts and he wants to change it for the better. Jesus is the one who has the power to completely change every aspect of your life. So will you let him? That's my question. Will you let him? Will you make the space for him to change your heart? It's not a once-off thing. It's a daily thing. Sometimes it's a half-day thing. Sometimes it's an hour thing. Will you let him? If you are struggling in your relationship in your family, if you are struggling in your relationships with your partner, if you are struggling in your relationships with your parents or maybe with your children, maybe it's the people that you are doing life with at work, Jesus is the answer. If you are struggling at work in your business, Jesus is the answer. If you are struggling financially, Jesus is the answer. If you have a past that you're not ashamed of, Jesus is the answer. If addiction is part of your story at the moment, Jesus is the answer. If you have mental health concerns, Jesus is the answer. If, if you have physical, my voice always goes up when I cry. If you have physical problems, Jesus is the answer. If you're uncertain about your future, Jesus is the answer. So let's not ever forget that despite what you're facing, what we're facing, Jesus will be changing you, your heart. That's his business. He's a pro at this. So nothing else will work apart from Jesus. And I was just really drawn to, I'm going to jump to John, the start of the Gospel of John. In the beginning, we read, was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was fully God. The Word was with God in the beginning. All things were created by Him. And apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. And the light shines on in the darkness, but the darkness has not mastered it. Will you give your life to Jesus? Will you come back to Jesus in the situations that you're finding yourself in? Because Jesus is the answer. How about we stand as, as I pray and we're going to continue to sing. <clears throat> yeah, so let's close our eyes as, as I pray. And uh, Father, um, we really want to come before you, Lord, and just thank you for this reminder that you are the answer to all of our life 
And we want to surrender ourselves to you. Um, not just a one-off thing, but daily. We want to continue to put you at the center of our lives. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the, um, the impact that it has. Thank you that you came to teach and you continue to teach us through your spirit. Worthy of every song that we could ever sing, Lord. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We want to live for you, Lord. Jesus, your name is above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could save. Worthy of every breath that we could ever breathe. We want to live for you, Lord. We want to live for you. We know that you are holy. There is none like you, Father. There is none besides you. And we ask that you would open our eyes in wonder of who you are and what you're doing in our lives. And show us and fill us and lead us, Father, we pray. And help us to, in the process, not do this just so that we would live better lives, but that we would be able to be a light to those people around us, Father. You are changing me. You are changing us so that we can change and help be the change to the people around us. So, Lord, we want to worship you. We glorify you. And we say thank you for being our God. In Jesus' name, amen.